Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hey everybody and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Another week, another guest. And this one, we think we're going to be talking coaching. And we're talking from so with someone who's on the way over many, many hours behind me. First thing in the morning, I think. Is that is that right, Janet? It is. It's it's 9, 10 a.m. That's not so bad, I suppose, is it? No, this is actually doable. I, I enjoy the mornings. So whereabouts in the world are you? I am located a little bit north of San Francisco, right over the Golden Gate Bridge. Do you know, once I had to, uh, I had a business meeting in Los Angeles. Um, I can't remember why now. So I, did, I had a look on the map and thought, I know, I'll stay in San Francisco because that's not far. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked on the map and thought, why, why is it a 13-hour train journey? <laughs> oh, so, so tell me you didn't really stay in San Francisco. I did. I did. Oh, my gosh. I felt very American as I hopped on a, on a plane to for, for an hour to do, just to do just to whip down from one place to the other. So it's great. I have very oh. happy memories of that part of the world. Oh, my gosh. I, of course, am a little biased and I prefer San Francisco over L.A. any day. But uh, I bet any you've had day. a wonderful time. Wonderful time in San Francisco. Yeah, it's got a real vibe, San Francisco, hasn't it? It's got that so proper, some age and some real, you know, different parts of the city and such like. It's really great. Yes, it is. You know, that's interesting. There's all these little pockets of fabulous cultural diversity and so you can pretty much find anything that you're looking for as far as performance although not right now in the middle of covid but before that and mm. hopefully after performance and food and just the distinct differences in the design of the city and the architecture even so it's a wonderful place to wander around and how's the resilience of the San Francisco and and on all these different places. How is that? How is how are things bearing up over there? I'd have to say that it's it's been tough uh, for everyone, and that the city itself is very very quiet right now. Mm. Uh, um, I, of course, every everyone is either working from home or doing an extensive amount of Zoom calls, and so the city is quite closed down. It's a little eerie, and uh, when I do go in there to see a client. It's just extremely calm and quiet. There's no hustle bustle that like there usually would be in a city. Yeah. It's it's a different it's a different feel. Yeah, yes, it's interesting. I'm allowed to work face to face, so it's been quite fascinating. Whenever the chance is there to work face to face, it's been brilliant. Just whizzing through the empty streets, it's been fantastic. 
it's actually very calming. You know, when you think about it, you're in this giant, massive city with skyscrapers everywhere and very few people. And, and, and organization is a challenge, isn't it? Because people now are, are um, have fought the battle for many years about this idea of a blended home working, office working sort of environment. And now everybody, that battle's been won in a sense, isn't it? Almost to the other extreme where everybody's now expected to work from home. And we're seeing stress and burnout coming from the incredible productivity gains coming from home working. It's, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard to know how things will pan out over the next six or seven months. It's going to be very interesting. I think a lot of innovation has actually been uh, spurred by the, the COVID, but also uh, the burnout that you speak of as well. And it'll be interesting in the next six months to eight months to a year to see exactly what falls out, what lands, what works for different people and companies, and then what doesn't work. And we have to not have that one part of our organization go back to something that was maybe not really working, but it was exposed by COVID. That's really exposing the sort of different leadership styles and approaches, isn't it? Because what you, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the, on the innovation side of things. It's, but you know, if, if leaders aren't thinking flexibly about the future, there, there's a sort of tendency to, to go back to the familiar. And I've noticed lots of um, organizational um, meetings, which would take place in the real world, have just been replicated online. You know, there's been a lack of, whilst there has been um, innovation, there's also been quite a lot of the status quo and quite lazy sort of thinking about just mm. applying the same processes just to an online world, which is missing the point in my view. I don't know what you think. Uh, I agree. It's, uh, I, in the last year specifically, have truly worked with leaders to help them navigate the ambiguity that they're faced with now. They're not sure what to do. And uh, what I did do, which was interesting for me, is I worked pro bono with all my senior leaders for three months right after the COVID shutdown. And I said, look, you all need support and I have it. So let's work together for the next three months on pro bono. And then we'll talk about other, other work moving forward from there. And, you know, Russell, it was really interesting. It, ex it exposed me to I've landed exactly where I should be because I loved working for free. I probably shouldn't say that, but I, I loved it because I was so involved and enthused and realized I would be doing this work of coaching senior executives, even if I wasn't paid. And I think that was a real uh, wake up call for me going, wow, you have really landed where in the work that you love and you trust and you feel comfortable and you're really in service to other people. And that was a wonderful experience for me for the first three months of March, April, and May of last year. And I let my clients know and said, I'm here for you. Let's work on the ambiguity piece. Let's, let's look at rapidly experimenting different things. Let's, let's look at your organization and figure out how you can learn from others. And maybe what I like to call sourcing the source, where you go to the teams and you say, what is it that you need? What is it you want? How can you still grow and learn and expand on our business, yet at the same time feel really supported. Mm. And I feel like that was the biggest gift that COVID gave me was this lovely opportunity to dive deep with my clients and support them when they really, really were frantic on, oh my gosh, what do we do now? Yeah. And 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 that sort of co-creation is 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 a gift, isn't it? Because I mean, you know, we wouldn't actually talk much about what you do, but as a coach, the idea is that, you know, you're, you're not sitting there as the oracle telling people what to do. It's that co-creation piece of, you know, coming to a new idea together, isn't it? Oh, 
everything I do is really much more of a collaborative nature in asking people what it, what it is that you need or how might we make this better using some design thinking models of the how might we and then having them answer so that I build trust as well as it's active. We're learning from each other and it really fosters growth. There's not a moment in there where people are standing still saying, hmm, I wonder about this. We actually discuss what the wonderment is and what the questions are and build out objectives from that to work from and then move forward in an iterative process in that we can always look back and go, mm, let's refine that a little bit and then change the focus so that we're still accomplishing what they set out to, but we're listening because again, it's, it's all ambiguous. It changes daily as we've seen everything is changing daily. So you've got to have that, you know, what, what you could, that resilience and be able to shift. Mm. And so, so talk to me about women in leadership, because I know this is something you do. It may not be a massive thing, but I know it is an area. Do you think in this day and age, women need leadership development that's, that is exclusively for uh, women on their own? That's a good question. Because of the, the changing tide of seeing more women in leadership, they probably need maybe a little bit more of the supportive, guided leadership skills that maybe they've held back from developing on their own. And I've been fortunate to land in this role of supporting a lot of female executives, whether it's with preparing them to be on a board or whether it's in media training where, oh my gosh, I've got to be on this TV show tomorrow. I don't know what to do. And so giving them the skill set that maybe wasn't as equal as before, now it's a matter of saying, hey, you've got this. You are just as capable as anybody out there. I'm not even looking at different the different sex, but, but you're just as capable as the next person. Mm. And so helping them establish themselves with that confidence. And maybe it's a little bit of the guide by the side that I am, but at the same time, I, I, I change that um, fake it till you make it, which I don't like, to really hone it till you own it. I feel that all of this revolves around a lot of hard work and a lot of awareness of knowing where you need to improve and then putting your focuses there. And there's opportunities. We all have those opportunities for growth. I'm still learning, I'm still open. I love to learn and I'm a sponge. And so I am look out there and I think, okay, what can I offer and where, where can I guide people to find the skill set, the, the, the services that they need to really improve and grow on their own? Mm. I, I remember, because I've run some women in leadership programs, oddly enough, as often the, mm -hmm. only, the, ma the only man in the room sometimes. And, um, and, it, and it is interesting how a lot of women sort of, they get locked in this imposter syndrome route. Right. Which, which people forget is a natural state. And, you know, it's there for a reason rather than saying, actually, we need to cure it and get fixed. We, we need to recognize it and understand it. But a lot of them also say, actually, I work in a world where um, that's not what I need to know. What I need to know is how to survive the rough and tumble of, cor of corporate life. Now, you've, you've, uh, your background's in psychology and communications, and you've worked in... Um, in a variety of places. So tell me how your background equips me, equips you uh, to talk mm -hmm. about these sort of subjects. Okay. I started out as a competitive athlete 
and then I turned coach. Then I turned to being a national spokesperson doing media tours for companies that didn't want to be on the road in front of the camera or on radio doing these things. So I was speaking for them. Then I turned consultant. Then I turned professor, turned advisor. And so with this experience, I've really landed where my passion is with uh, custom tailoring coaching for business executive needs. So back to your point on that resilience, I've pulled in all the different elements that really worked for me in all of those areas. So from an athlete, the dedication, the focus, the time management, and from the professor of being very diligent about the objectives that I want the students to achieve in the classroom and how I want them to actually learn. And it was very experiential. It wasn't here, you're gonna read this chapter and be quizzed on it. It was, we're gonna go out in the field and you're going to work with corporations and companies to better serve them. And then uh, just landing and taking a lot of those qualities from this, this very diverse background and sifting through all of them and thinking, okay, this is a keeper. This And this one, I, I don't really need that, but this one over here, I'm gonna keep because I know I hold it in my heart, it's true to me, and it's something that I feel very comfortable in figuring out and then teaching or helping people learn from. Mm. And it's interesting when you hear a, um, when you hear that story laid out as it is, it, it, it has that ring of a story where you've just sailed serenely through life and, you, and it's just been this lovely sort of, um, I'm, I'm indicating my hands the shape on a on a on a chart, and I can't really think what that shape is. But you've had your challenges as well. You've you've had to you've had to fight to get to where you are. Tell you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it's interesting. You're right. It does sound sort of jolly when you're going through this list of things, and it all sounds so wonderful. And it and most of them had that that uh, that lovely icing on the cake, but building the cake was not always so easy and putting all those ingredients together was never easy. And uh, so yes, I've had a few setbacks. Um, uh, I can go into just one in particular, which I had uh, about 24 years ago. I was in the hospital and had emergency surgery and almost died and was going in for an hour long procedure and ended up in the hospital for eight days. And truly, I was given a second chance at life. And, uh, and at that point, I came back home, had like five months of recovery, and the doctors had put me all back together after this horrific emergency that happened at the hospital. And at that time, it gave me a lot of uh, clarity on, wow, I better start waking up every day and being grateful for what I have and what I've worked towards. And what do I want to do with that? What do I want to do with this second chance? What do I want to, uh, how can I be in service to others, given the knowledge that I've been given along the route, that story of my life? And uh, so with a lot of determination and, and grit and, and kind of with an overlay of grace, I moved forward into what was really meaningful for me which is that being in service to others. I feel that's a, a thread that's been given me for the last 24 years of how can I help some other people? How can I really support them? How can I give back and, and be grateful at the same time? How did you come to that conclusion? I think through a lot of 
the recovery uh, where I was quite debilitated for four, four to five months, a lot of soul searching, a lot of thinking, why was I given this second chance where most people would have died? Why was I given this lovely second chance to still be here with my family and raise my daughter and be out in the world? And I think it was a little bit of uh, a course based in fear of actually realizing what could have happened. And then also just going back to, I know being grateful has helped me for most of my life. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just be super grateful for the little strides that I'm making today. And then how can I carry that into next week? And what works and what doesn't as far as a grateful practice? Do I wake up and I'm just grateful or do I weave it into the day and do something nice for somebody else? And that makes me feel really good. Mm. So I think that's how I came to that uh, point of saying, wow, you know, I better really love the life I've been given because I just was handed a second one. So I better really enjoy what I'm doing and not dread getting up and not dread you know, being, being tasked with things that are challenging, you better just be grateful for all that's been given you. And mm. that, that was a major shift for me. Interesting. Because, um, I mean, we know in resilience that actually one of the ways that's recommended to build resilience is to help others. So it's, it is actually part of the, the remedy set. Uh, in mm -hmm. a, it's not a part of the cure, because not, we're not talking about being cured ever, because resilience is a life as a life skill, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, the trouble is that we've ended up with this term mindset, haven't we, as a way of collecting together a series of thoughts. Um, and, and I know that you sort of link the mindset discussion with something around assessing opportunities. Could you sort of unpack that a bit for me, please? So could you explain one more time, Russell, what your, what, what your view of mindset is? I'm, I missed that part. Um, well, basically, a, a collection of thoughts, which becomes a pattern, is often called a, a mindset. I know we've got the idea of the, the Dwecker idea, whatever she's called, uh, the growth and the fixed mindsets, which is quite an old idea, which she hooked into. Um, but I know, I know that you talk about mindset being a key component to success. I um, do. And then, I do. But you also talk about linking it with um, assessing opportunities. So I'm quite interested to, to understand a bit more about that, really. Yes, and I think that that comes a lot from my uh, athletic experiences, right. young and old, of visualizing outcomes, of asking yourself good questions and asking others really good questions, and what kind of mindset do you want to go into any experience with? So say you've got this high stakes meeting coming up, and do you just ask yourself if you're ready? And most of the time, our brains go to the dark side and say, no, I'm not ready. Or do you ask yourself, what is, what is my experience that I get to share today? And it changes me physically and with my mindset. And I'm assessing the, the, that opportunity of, wow, this is an opportunity to share my knowledge, to give the gift of my experience to, I, I can go down the list of putting myself in the right mindset for that meeting instead of asking myself different questions. So that's why that mindset piece for me is how do I prepare for something, no matter what it is, maybe it's a difficult discussion with a neighbor. And how do I prepare for that so that I'm open and ready and very concise with what I'd like to say, yet at the same time, asking myself good questions before that actual interaction and saying, wow, uh, how do you feel about your neighbor? I feel really good. How do you feel about having this discussion. Well, I'm a little tenuous, but I think I'm, I'm okay. I've got some things I'd like to say. 
And so asking myself those questions first and putting myself in that right, I, what I call a really solid, healthy mindset is extremely important. And what I used to do as an athlete, which was how do you prepare for this competition? How do you prepare for this performance, which we're all performing daily? And how do you prepare for that performance so that you do have the best outcome or the outcome that you would like? And that to me is mindset. Mm. Oh, interesting. And of course, we're in a situation now coming out of COVID where there are lots of opportunities. Arguably, the skill is going to be understanding that there are too many. Uh, so how, how, are you, how, how are you working with people at the moment to link that mindset, opportunity mindsets and such like together at the moment for leaders of businesses at the, uh, you know, in this precise sort of period of time? Usually we delve right into three components and I, I work with threes quite a bit. I think that's how our brain remembers things. But the three components for me is asking, I'll just put out uh, Sarah, the senior leader of an organization in San Francisco. And I'd like to hear from her what she would like to do how she would like to make people feel and what they need to know. And almost in the inverse of that, we start with what do people need to know first? Well, they need to know that they have that opportunity to work from home. They have, they need to know three distinct things. And then moving down to how do you want them to feel? Well, I want them to feel supported, that they're valuable, they're agile. She lists out things that she wants them to feel. And of course, you know, this is extremely important, that feeling to then takes them to the next action, which is, which is what you want them to do. And it's very basic, yet at the same time, sometimes we don't allow ourselves enough time to actually think about these truly basic things, the needs of the people. How do you want them to feel the language choices that you use around how you say, I, I want you to feel supported, what is it that, how is it that I can support you? What do you need moving forward? Asking good questions also of the staff, the employees, the people she's working with. And then what is the, what, what guides them, that feeling them pushes them to, oh, I need to do this and this and this. So that the, the triangle, if you will, the triangle is complete and it just goes round and round and round. It, it, it never stops. You go back to, okay, then what else do you need to know? So you can do many layers of this triangular formation of the no, do, feel. I mean, no, feel, do, excuse me, no, feel, do. And then assess the do. Are they actually doing the action that I had purported? Are they, are they moving forward in the seamless way I'd like them to? And you can self-assess at that point, or Sarah can look back and go, wow, you know, I gave them the information, what they needed to know. I have worked on making them feel a certain way or own a certain part of, of their existence. How do they show up? And this is where they're going to do A, B, and C. And, and what, interesting, isn't it? What's the thing that holds people back most of all in all of this? Which is, which is the, is there, a, is there a thing that generally holds us back? Or, um, or is it is it is it is it too individual to sort of talk about that? Or it, do you find some sort of point of commonality? It is individual, as you mentioned, and I think we get in our own way a lot of times. Mm. We put up our own blocks of oh, you know, I I don't I don't think they need to feel anything, 
And then my job is to discuss that and understand where they're coming from and maybe help them understand that when people do feel a certain way, it moves them to action. And that language choice, which I, I work on a lot with people, the language choice of what are those specific words you choose to use and to eliminate can be a deciding factor on how people feel. And so be careful or practice or find the words that are completely comfortable to you and use those, hold those. Uh, I, I started to say earlier um, that I'm not a real fan of that fake it till you make it at all. Mm. I'd prefer that hone it till you own it. Really work on these things until they become natural to you. So that even if you put, I'm a very visual learner and I, I work with this triangle in my mind all the time of these three points and how do I reflect back on those when I'm working with clients and I see that triangle in front of me and I encourage them to use that if that works for them as well. Maybe it's an auditory thing for them or a kinesthetic way of learning more. But for me, it's really a, a picture of a triangle and how do I navigate ambiguity using that triangle so that I can then go to the, what do they need to do? Those are the outcomes that we, Sarah and I have worked on now to achieve. How long, again, this is an impossible question, but how long does that sort of level of awareness to be able to create the change take? For some people, I'm guessing it's instantaneous. For others, it's a bit of a slog. You're right on both counts. Um, it, it truly, some people get it right away and they may understand uh, how I'm working a little bit, bit deeper. And then there's others that we just really discuss it and we collaborate on maybe we even change the word so it suits them. So maybe it's maybe it's information or education instead of what do they need to know? And that's fine. So it truly is becomes an active collaborative or a co-creation of the coaching and what they need and what works for them instead of what works for me, because it's not about me. It's mm -hmm. about them and whom I'm really supporting and, and lifting. And so really working with them on designing something that, that suits them is extremely important, very much from the start. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, fascinating. Um, I always find it interesting talking to coaches who've either been in the, the arts or sports worlds, because I think there's a different, there's a different understanding of process when you've actually worked in those sorts of areas. Do you, how, what do you think about that? I agree. And I also know from my athletic background and then turning to be a coach, which I turning to be a coach of my sport, which is what I always wanted to do. I didn't want to compete at the highest levels. I just wanted to teach children. And so for me, it was, what are those elements and what are the language choices that I need to choose for each individual learner? And every student I had was so incredibly different, just like we are as human beings. Mm. So finding the best channel, the best way to reach them in, in describing how, what they needed to do or what they needed to practice or one little element of their arms, something like that gave me such perspective on uh, how we're also individual thinkers. We're all individual doers. We all have this pre-wired and then of course it, it it grows construct in our brain of how we're going to learn and so to to be exposed to that is very 
early on, I went to, uh, I turned pro in undergrad and started coaching. I just absolutely loved it, thrived in it, loved the students and learned so much that I didn't know I was learning. Yeah, fascinating. It is, it is absolutely fascinating. The, um, there's, there's how many people, how many people are working at senior level with people with um, in business and they're bringing through many of the things they learned coaching sports or or um, performers of any sort of description fascinating um mm -hmm. so you work with an organizing an organization called watson and associates which which has ended up ending up with the world's greatest email address of watson and a sock.com so we, <laughs> we would we were we were joking about your left should really be two socks just to make it uh, to make it work <laughs> But um, so Watson and and written out and a sock AWSOC is your website. And I'm guessing that's where you want people to go to find out more about your work, Janet. Is that right? Janet at WatsonandTheSock.com. Would that be true? That would be true. And uh, yes, I have some testimonials. I have clients that I've worked with and just my philosophy and believing that human potential is limitless. And I truly believe that we need a guide by the side oftentimes, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're flying solo, but my job is to really give people the wings so they can fly solo. And it's kind of working myself out of a job, but that is truly my goal, is mm. to impart enough information and enough uh, skills and techniques so that people can feel really good heading out into their business world on their own. Perfect. And um, are you tr troubling the world of social media much? Do people find you there or is it mostly the website? It's mostly the website and the email and I have my own personal accounts, but I don't uh, do an enormous amount on social media. I'd rather actually work with people and get so involved with them that I just don't have the time. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant to talk to you today. It's very interesting talking to another coach. So I can, I can very much, you can sort of see, you can, you can almost sense your approach through the way that you've talked about yourself today. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, thank you, Russell. I love talking to you and, and, and having your experience and your background as a coach, you truly understand uh, some really good questions to ask. That's our mutual loving is now finished and now we have to <laughs> sadly <laughs> say goodbye. <laughs> no, it's been a joy to talk to you today, Janet. Really fascinating. And um, you know, thank you for spending time with us today. Well, thank you, Russell, and you as well. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcasts for show notes or follow the links and you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers tools and resources including free articles and ebooks for those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively you can find our new patreon page at patreon.com then search for resilience unraveled i look forward to being in your ear next time around take care